Andy, what's the best kaiju power? I believe that's the ability to befriend all the children, which is Gamera's power. So what you're saying is the best kaiju power is the power of love? Yes. Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Tessa Suela, and with me is my co-host, Andy Bowman. Hello. Taking Sam's spot today is Ariel Rada, the person who used to put up with Andy when they hosted Geek 101 together, and the current host of Pop Culturist Podcast, MB Asians Podcast, and The Four Nations Report. Thanks for coming on to talk about kaiju with us today, Ariel. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to talk about kaiju. Uh, If you know me in any capacity, then you know that Pacific Rim is actually my favorite movie of all time. So there is nobody probably more qualified to talk about this from a passion standpoint than I am. Well, that's what we're looking for, passion, because we are getting psyched or maybe not psyched for Godzilla vs. Kong, which comes out on March 31st in theaters and on HBO Max. Our show is going to be formatted a little differently than usual this episode. Because we are all such big fans of the kaiju genre, we all had a little difficulty just picking one movie or property to talk about. So today we are going to talk about a few kaiju movies that we have recently crossed off our lists and discussed why we love this genre so much and our predictions for the upcoming film. So let's go ahead and get started and talk about one of the movies we watched recently, Shin Godzilla. Quick summary, Shin Godzilla is a 2016 Japanese kaiju film directed by Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuri, and stars Hiroki Hasegawa, Yutaka Takenochi, and Satomi Ishihara. The film explores the bureaucratic and political perspective on a Godzilla invasion of Tokyo, focusing on the massive infrastructure concerns of a giant sea monster destroying a city, and the often darkly hilarious red tape surrounding disaster politics. So let's start with Andy, because I know this was a monkey for Andy. He'd been looking forward to watching it for a while. What was your overall take on this film, Andy? This is probably the second best Godzilla film I've seen. It's really good, but it is just a straight up reboot of the Godzilla story for the most part. Pretty much what I tell anyone who I talked to recently is it's the first Godzilla film to win the Japanese equivalent of the Best Picture Oscar, and there's a reason for that. That, And then I say also... I know you're going to get turned off by the initial design of Godzilla, but stick with it. Oh my god, that like bloody tadpole puppet is terrifying. I was not expecting it. I also watched this movie last week, and that to me was the creepiest part of the film. Ariel, you wrote a piece about this film on the Pop Culturist website last year. What was your take on this film? I really enjoyed this film because kaiju films today have kind of i don't want to say they've become americanized because the american like let's let's let them just fight it out like in a big city like that was done in japan for a long time but they have just moved away from from their original kind of purpose uh in the same way that you watch some sci-fi movies science fiction movies today And you're like, man, Isaac Asimov would be rolling in his grave if you watched some of these quote-unquote sci-fi movies. There's no message, there's no theme, there's no symbolism. Uh, So Shin Godzilla brings us back to that. And I think it was, I think it was brilliant, and you mentioned this in the summary, the movie is not about Godzilla. The movie is about this, uh, uh, it's about the government of Japan and their lack of action in response to disasters. I, I, I think in America... Uh, you have to look at something like Hurricane Katrina, where we just did not and could not, for some strange reason, support the people of New Orleans. Like, that's kind of what's happening in this movie. And that's that's maybe a a commentary on the, the, like, the physical, natural disasters that have happened to Japan over the last couple of years with tsunamis and stuff. And I think this version of Godzilla is such a great way to to address that right it's it's the original godzilla for those of you who do not know was created in response to or uh, as a product of ja- japan being bombed by america 
and the the fall, the nuclear fallout that that affected the country. This one, I think, is in regards to the the way the country has uh, Japan has reacted to the physical disasters that that kind of keep attacking them, the earthquakes and the tsunamis and whatnot. And right now, there's a very common storyline in Japanese media, which involves the old generation needing to step down, but not actually be, being willing to step down, and a new generation stepping up, uh, usually by force or uh, by happenstance. And th- this movie is just so dryly funny about the, the prime minister and the oh, uh, we need to discuss this. Okay, let's go to the next meeting room. And it's almost like a Dr. Strangelove situation. The moving rooms I found very funny. The changing of outfits I also found very funny as well. The fact that they had to have like a new outfit for each each room. And there's a lot here that I think would be funnier if I was more familiar with Japanese bureaucracy. But to make a connection to like a more American sensibility, this did also remind me a lot of FEMA and the way that FEMA is often considered this very bureaucratic response to disasters as well. But I did find this very funny. And I thought it was very interesting that this film, which came out, you know, all these years after the 1954, you know, original Godzilla film, is still very interested in Hiroshima and Nagasaki come up in this film several times. I mean, the idea that, you know, that, that these events have caused such a national, like, scar, like this, this cultural memory of just death and destruction associated with nuclear bombs. This is definitely returning to that fear, but also the fact that that fear still exists, I find incredibly poignant in this film. You know, we say that, but in America, people can't, like, they won't look past 9-11. And I mean this in the sense that, like, they can't look past it in a very xenophobic way. But what was what happened to Japan was was way worse, right? Like it's like I don't know the the body count, but the idea of dropping these horrific bombs on on these people is like I don't you know I don't want to get into numbers, but it's like it is it's haunting, and it's haunting in a way that we can't really under, understand as a culture. Yeah, and there's a scene in the film where they actually just so briefly, and it's not even really played for like. It's not played for pity or sympathy or like to exploitatively, but there are two like really brief flashes of photographs from, I believe, Hiroshima. I tried to find specifics on the photographs, and I think that's where they're from. Please correct me if you know differently. But it's just it's like a two second flash at one point when they're talking about how much they don't want the U.S. to get involved and drop a nuclear bomb on this Godzilla monster. And it's just so effective the way that they use that imagery. A few other things that that I I think it was uh, Hideaki Anno, the director, who his decision to use the musical stings from the original Godzilla movie. That was very uh, good. Oh, just chilling. And also the absolute destruction that Godzilla lays down uh, somewhere around the halfway mark of the film. It, it, the atomic breath thing is amazing from this version of Godzilla. So I, I also, I'm going to talk about Gamera later, and I'm very excited about it. I am excited to say that this was a return to puppet kaiju. Like this, this was a very, very interesting, this reminded me a lot of more of the kaiju movies I grew up with, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go along. But this leads me to my next question. How do you all think that this film fits into the overall Godzilla universe or mythos? Is this like an alternate universe? Is this part of the universe? Where, where do we see it in the line of kaiju movies that are related to Godzilla? To me, this is, this is, the, um, this is the full-on reboot. Yeah. This is the, the zero-point reboot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Hideaki Anno, uh, he, he just finished his big franchise uh he's very famous for the neon genesis evangelion franchise and the final movie for that finally came out like two weeks ago so there is a possibility that he'll be up and ready to do a sequel to this or something but this is a full-on reboot the the source of godzilla is nuclear waste and not the nuclear bomb which is very telling to how japan is looking forward to the future uh very telling at least how Hideake is looking forward to the future yeah yeah this is just a full-on reboot and i think that this is what godzilla needed to start telling deeper stories all right ariel how did you get into kaiju movies since you're such a a hugely avowed fan uh so i actually wrote about this uh for sci-fi.com in a piece called 
uh, lost in the 90s, struggling to find Asian American representation when there was none. Uh, I talk about how, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I was, I was born here. I'm an American and uh, first generation American. And, you know, you, you watch TV and you're trying to find somebody somewhere that looks like you or looks like your family. And, you know, one of the things that I latched onto was uh, was Godzilla. Because surprise, surprise, the people acting in Godzilla, they, you know, they spoke weird dubbed English, but they looked like me. And so it was one of those things where I latched onto Godzilla because when you watched a Godzilla movie, uh, Godzilla was the king, right? And and Godzilla was the undisputed alpha, you know, they say this, or apex predator, alpha predator, and they say this in, in, in the current movies. And like growing up, and even today, when you are when you Asian men, you're, you're seen as weak. And it's something that I, that I get every on, on a daily basis, right? You go play basketball. Oh, he's soft. He's soft. Like it happens. And, and there's that kind of historical way. And it, and it's tough. Cause when you, when you're reading daredevil, when you're reading Batman, when you're watching these things, like who are they fighting? Who was Wolverine fighting in that 2011 film, the Wolverine? Who is he killing namelessly, like indiscriminately? And so Godzilla was a fictional symbol of Asian for lack of a better word, like power. And, you know, growing up, there's like, you know, there's little things like Power Rangers and stuff like that. But like, I, I, I did not care for Power Rangers nearly as much as I cared for, for Godzilla. So I would go to the, I would go to the video store and this is what I would rent. I would rent Godzilla movies and I would watch these people in costumes just wail on each other. And at the end of the day, Godzilla was always the king. And I, I really, really love that. So what do you think is so special about this genre? So you sort of answered this a little bit, but what about those Godzilla movies really appealed to you beyond the the Asian power motifs? Was was it the storylines? Was it just the the monster fighting? I think it was definitely just the, like it was the monster fighting, right? <laughs> in a way that like in these films, it, it just happened in a way that like it scratched the itch better than like a Ninja Turtle, like the Ninja Turtles cartoon. They're they're silly. Like it happens in Power Rangers, right? But but these Godzilla movies, you you know these just these monsters just wail on each other. I was a big like action figure skit. I yeah, I still have, so uh, you know one of the like you know when you're an adult you just get more expensive toys. I still have action figures. I don't sit and play with them like I do when I was ten years old. But yeah, I, I just I love big monsters fighting. So you said that your favorite film is. The first Pacific Rim of the of the kaiju films. Do you want to give us just a little blurb as to why? Why does that one outrank Godzilla films in your opinion? Uh, well, one, it's it's just a better better made film. I, and people ask me like, hey, why do you like Pacific Rim so much? I tell them, it's like, well, it's because it's one, it's exactly the type of movie I would have made when I was ten years old, twelve years old, right? Hey, uh, giant monsters are attacking the city, and we need to make giant robots to fight them. Brilliant concept. And two. Ever since you watched in, in 07 when Pan's Labyrinth came out, you're like, ooh, this guy is... This wasn't recognized till 2018, but you, you you watch Pan's Labyrinth and you're like, Guillermo del Toro is an Oscar-worthy, one of the best directors in the world. And then you you watch that, you watch um, you, you watch the Hellboy films, even though the, that genre and the character is not super popular. Like, these are incredible movies. And so what if... And this is him saying, <clears throat> I'm going to just take my, my two of my favorite things when I was a kid, the Gundam models and Godzilla and I'm going to make my own movie and uh I appreciate that and it's just like what if my favorite things growing up were made by expert filmmakers and that that's Pacific Rim for me it was uh Devil's Backbone that was the film that Ugh. I knew when I saw that film I was like this this is someone I am going to watch all of their films from now on yeah. he's just such a excellent excellent filmmaker all right, let us talk about Colossal, which I have not seen, but I know the two of you watched this past week. So quick summary, Colossal is a 2016 American kaiju film, so it came out the same year as Shin Godzilla, directed and written by Nacho Vigalondo, starring Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis, Dan Stevens, Austin Stull, and Tim Blake Nelson. I really should have watched this movie. I like all these people. The film follows Gloria, played by Hathaway, a unemployed and recently dumped writer who wakes up one day to realize she can unconsciously manifest a kaiju in Seoul. So, Ariel, this was a monkey for you. Tell us about your experience with this movie. I love kaiju things, but this movie kind of came out a little under the radar, right? It's more of an indie film. It kind of prides itself on being a low-budget indie film, but it's still a kaiju film, and Anne Hathaway is a is a great actress and and I think like watching it a lot of the acting is actually pretty great and the characterization is pretty great and so I it was it was just one of those things that when it came out or when I finally realized it existed 
um, I decided I, I needed to watch it at some point, and this this episode, this podcast gave me the the catalyst um, to to do that. It's what we're here for. Yeah, but uh, however, this movie is is a prime example of subtle cultural appropriation. All right, uh, dig into that a little bit. How is this because it's an American kaiju film? I haven't seen it, like I said, but I even I, as I was sort of looking up the summary of this film, was a little surprised to know that this was a a white woman writer in, is it New York City? Is that where she is? Mm -hmm. Or she's from New York City, but the monsters in Seoul, Korea. And so that to me, even that kind of rang a little odd to me. So... Could you expand on that, please? Yeah. So the film is obviously taking inspiration from kaiju films. And there's nothing wrong with that because kaiju films have grown past the point where they are like exclusive to Asians, right? It's it's not some niche thing. It's a big thing. Like Godzilla is a huge thing. And it's okay for non-Asian people to to make them. Pacific Rim is my favorite movie. Guillermo del Toro is not Asian. And I think he does that that movie uh, in a way that is not cultural appropriating. But the reason I call this um, cultural appropriation is because all the, one, all the characters are white to the concept is, is Asian and, and the director kind of blatantly used God, the name Godzilla to promote the film so much so that he got sued by Toho and they had to settle. Um, so, you know, his inspiration is there. That. And uh, the film was pitched as Godzilla meets lost in translation which is a Japanese movie and a movie that takes place entirely in Japan. Yeah. But the the reason why I think it's like I, I like I tell people this movie's racist and it's racist because there was no reason to have the monster manifest in Korea. There's no commentary on Japan, there's no commentary on nuclear like nu- nuclear weaponry like the source of traditional kaiju. No, there's nothing no, the movie has nothing to do uh, has nothing to say, excuse me, about Korea. And yet here it is, like the, these white Americans commenting and like joking around about the, you know, this is not really a spoiler. The, monor- the monster manifests in Korea and it physically manifests. And so buildings are destroyed. Hundreds of people die. And no amount of, oh, I feel bad about this happening can take away that this person's monster, the, you know, the, the message is like, oh, your alcohol, your alcoholism can damage those around you, right? I think that's a pretty simple thing. It's in the concept. It's she's an alcoholic. This, this monster manifests and people get hurt. But it's like, why are you using Asian bodies for that? You are literally allowing this white woman's toxicity to manifest itself and harm strangers who are Asian. And you're taking an Asian thing to do that. And so the, the, the person has no idea the optics behind this. You're literally stealing something from a culture, having it attack that people's culture. And the worst part is it's not even Japan. Kaiju has nothing to do with Korea. And it's just like this... this, this terrible tone deaf story I, I i think it's a i think it's a cool concept i think there's great character moments uh i think there's some good acting in it good script except it's it's racist because you just refuse to acknowledge where this came from give credit to those people and then i i am very very sensitive to white people causing pain to brown black and brown people uh especially without consequence for some or, or most of the film. And that's what we get here. Andy, this was also a monkey for you. What was your reaction to this film? I talked with Ariel a little bit about it. Because I'm a white dude, I didn't uh, see the optics uh, until he brought it up. But for me also, this I think that it succeeds in, in one way where it uses, it uses genre as a means to tell a much better story about characters. And it has some surprising twists. Uh, I definitely thought I knew what I was getting into when it started and the characters meet each other and Anne Hathaway meets Jason Sudeikis. It does not go where you expect it. And I think that's good as someone who has had a, uh, let's call it a uncomfortable relationship with, uh, with alcohol. I liked the portrayal of, uh, of Anne Hathaway's, um, problems that she had, but there is so weirdly no reason that it needs to be Korea that I actually like Ariel and I, talked about like that it it could have been done so much better and also if you're going into this movie thinking you're going to see a giant monster uh, fight it, it really is a metaphor for something else i think that the uh titular colossal or whatever it ends up being called is in the movie less than godzilla is in godzilla 2014 and ariel and tessa you both know how little that actually is in the film 
Well, I'm, I I was going to ask my next question. How would we place this movie in the tradition of kaiju films? I am curious, though, and this is sort of related to that question. So you both keep saying, like, you're not sure what kaiju have to do with Korea. That concept has gone over to Korea. Like, they've made some really good kaiju films, like The Host. And I'm trying to think of the other one. Monster from the Deep is the tagline, I think. Yo, Yang Gauri. Yeah, Yang Gauri. Thank you. Is that not what we're talking about here? I, I just want to clarify that Korea does have like a kaiju tradition of their own. Is it just because it seems arbitrary that it's in Seoul yeah. as opposed to Tokyo or San Francisco? Because we've seen uh, that city destroyed by Godzilla. Right, right. There, 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 is, there is no reason that it just needed to be Seoul, like at all. You could have, you could have picked any city yep. out of a hat. Yep. Gotcha. And gotcha. I just wanted to clarify that we weren't saying that Korea didn't have their tradition. <laughs> I mean, I don't even I don't think the host is a kaiju film. Like I don't think that's like it doesn't it doesn't quite fit that bill. It's close. But in the same way that we'll mention later, like I don't I don't think like Cloverfield and King Kong movies are are in the same way. But like really quick, I asked my friend, an Asian friend, to like look up the thing. I was like, it's like, hey, am I off here? And she literally goes, White Americans remotely destroying Korea from america and it reminded me of the article that i read about the uh it was called like the deadliest man like to ever live and it was about it was about the the drone operator who just flies drones to iraq and he's got like three thousand confirmed kills and it's just like like there's just so much to say about somebody just like remotely killing brown people across the world like it says nothing and and you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing it so I, i told andy like like, if you can't do this in a way that doesn't harm brown people on screen, then, then this is not your film t- to make. Right. And it doesn't sound like any of these these Asian characters have any kind of agency. Like, do they even have speaking lines, any of them? Only in, like, the news. Like, yeah. they're the news anchors, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one of the only uh, Koreans we see in America is never shown talking and is only uh, only used to write down something in Korean. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. Okay, so not recommend on this one. So uh, let's move on to a film that, according to your own definition, Ariel, is not a kaiju movie, but I think it's important to talk about if we're going to talk about Godzilla versus Kong. So let's talk about 2017's Kong Skull Island. Ariel, do you mind reading the summary? Kong Skull Island is a 2017 film reboot of the American King Kong franchise and the second installment of the legendary MonsterVerse, which began in 2014 with Godzilla, directed by Jordan Voigt-Roberts and starring Tom Hiddleston, Samuel L. Jackson, John Goodman, Brie Larson, Jing Tian, Shea Wiggum, and John C. Riley. Uh, the film follows a group of Vietnam veterans, scientists, a journalist, and an ex-British intelligence officer as they explore a mysterious island and encounter Kong the Giant Gorilla in 1973. Thank you, Ariel. I just watched this film for the first time this past week, mainly because I don't like Kong. Peter Jackson's Kong actually put me off this kind of movie for a really long time. I hated that film. Um, So it is a monkey for me, pun intended. We are going to talk about some spoilers in this film just to amp up our discussion of Godzilla vs. Kong later. So if you are, for some reason, worried that Kong is going to die at the end of this movie, or you just want to watch this movie before you listen to a spoiler conversation, please skip. There will be a timestamp in the episode description to when we ask Andy about his kaiju history. For me, this film was fun. Like, I had some problems with it. Uh, And it's not, you know, the greatest movie on this list. But for me, especially because I was going in with this sense of dread that it was going to be the three hour long racist and it's still a little racist, like horror fest that Peter Jackson did back in 2005. I was pleasantly surprised. And I think I knew I was going to be pleasantly surprised when Kong throws a tree, which seemingly comes out of nowhere and takes out a helicopter. And I just, I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard because that kind of like funny gag work, I don't think happens enough in monster films in general anymore, but especially in like this kaiju style film, which I think Americans have almost made a little bit too serious sometimes. So I'm curious about your two experiences with this film. Andy, when did you watch this film and what did you think of it? Uh, I I watched this film opening weekend uh, in the theaters back when theaters were safe to go to. I really, really loved it. Uh, I loved John C. Riley's 
character arc. I I love Samuel L. Jackson just chewing the scenery. There's a great scene with Tom that involves Tom Hiddleston, a gas mask, a katana, and just lots of uh, weird color gases and I feel like we entered another movie briefly during that scene like we left this movie went to another movie for like one scene and then came back to this movie <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was it was a lot of fun and I screamed at the post credit sequence yeah yeah th- this was exactly the kind of popcorn movie that I wanted so I what about you Ariel I watched this film like at home when it was on streaming maybe a couple a year after it, it had like released in theaters. I like Tessa, I have no interest. I have negative interest in, in Kong movies. Um, this is not a this is not like a kaiju film. It is pretty racist, which made me hesitant to watch any uh King Kong films because they have all at this uh, up to this point been racist. And it's it's a classic American, right? That's like a, such a classic American thing. Like the the Peter Jackson one is horrifically uh, racist and then this one of course is the same it's a dumb popcorn movie and unless you have a giant robot fighting a giant monster even like I, you know i can't even say that anymore because pacific rim is not a dumb popcorn movie that's like a really good popcorn movie that is self-aware and uh i just don't think that this is as self-aware as like let's say fast and the furious films are like those movies are a hundred percent like Yeah, we know exactly what we're doing. We know exactly how stupid we are. And I think Kong Skull Island might think it's a little more clever or I think the director might take himself a little more seriously than I than I I really care for. And that that is completely fair. I thought it was interesting that they set the film in 1973. Again, with the Peter Jackson film, the fact that he kind of tried to set it back during like the time period of the original Kong film which don't watch. I'm sorry. Like the original Kong film is just so bad. I was a little worried when they were playing with time here, but I do think that it's interesting that they're trying to give Kong more of a backstory than they normally do in these films because they knew, of course, that they were going towards uh, Godzilla versus Kong. If you watch this film, they tease... I mean, the opening sequence is the almost exact same feeling as the 2014 Godzilla. The after credit sequence teases King of the Monsters. Like, you know that this that they're trying to build, like, this monster verse, and they're trying to lead us to the Godzilla versus Kong fight. And so I did think it was interesting that they, like, didn't try to set this in present day, but they also didn't try to, like, return to the 20s or the 30s. And they, they didn't give us New York. Like, I was hap- I was so happy that they did not take us to New York. I did not want to see Kong climb the, the Empire State Building again. I didn't want to see him carrying some blonde girl, right? Like, I, you know, I, I think that they, they, did, they did make some changes that I thought were really interesting, but they were trying to obviously shift away from some of the more classic tropes. The natives in this are still really bad. Like, they tried, and they failed. They tried to make it not racist by not having them speak without realizing that that's also pretty racist. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, like, <laughs> I did like the fact that he fights other kaiju. Like you said, maybe, are, are the lizards kaiju? The the skull? No, they're, they're just monsters. What, what? They're, they're monsters, just monsters? Yeah. Okay. Or dinosaurs, well, maybe Maybe this would be a great time to ask, like, what's your definition of a kaiju film? Like, what makes a kaiju film versus a not kaiju film? What makes a kaiju film a kaiju film is to be able to recognize that your monster is a force of nature and not, you can't even, like you watch Godzilla, you're like, that's not an animal. That's a force of nature. Pacific Rim does this really well. And it's just, it's why I think one, it works and why I think Guillermo del Toro just gets it. He's like, you know, when a hurricane comes, you can't fight the hurricane, but we made it so that we could fight back. Kaiju are the consequence of something we've done or or maybe they're just a force of nature. But like when you watch Kong, that's an animal, a big one, but that's an animal. Cloverfield, that's an alien, right? But you watch Godzilla and at no point are you thinking that's a that's a, an animal we could put in a zoo. And I think that's the main difference. It's interesting you say that because one of the big praises for Shin Godzilla was its return to like the more practical effects version of Godzilla because there's actually been like an online movement especially in in Japan that has basically said like well this the new CGI Godzilla it looks too much like an evil animal like it doesn't look like Godzilla which I think is a really interesting objection to the way that 
Godzilla has been portrayed in the last couple of movies. The director did talk about the uh, next forms of Godzilla in uh, Sheen Godzilla, and and it involves Godzilla basically being more of a Lovecraftian entity than a creature that we recognize. I also think that there's a bit of a stylistic flair with uh, kaiju films that involve that almost have to involve model cities being destroyed. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, it just, it needs to be part of there. There, there. It's a stylistic thing. It needs to be so, it needs to be comically large. <laughs> well, Kong is supposed to go through a growth spurt between this film and the next one. Thanks, so. I hate it. I know, it's terrible. But so you would say Kong, any any film involving Kong that doesn't also involve another kaiju like Godzilla would not be a kaiju film. But I think that it's interesting that Kong has become so intertwined with kaiju films in some ways. Do you think this is like because of like Americans need to like have their own big monster that can be like, that can go toe to toe with like the kaiju of Japan and Korea? Uh, I think it's just money. I think they just found the opportunity to say, hey, why don't we just put these two things together and make some money? The original uh, King Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus King Kong, uh, I forget which order it's in, it was actually Frankenstein. Like Frankenstein versus Kong? No, Frankenstein versus Godzilla. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and things happened and they got switched. There, there's even a scene in the original like uh, movie the where- lightning. Yeah, where Godzilla like uses the, the bolts on the side of uh, Kong's neck uh, and electrocutes him. So- that that's just the original thing. Um, Were they planning on like making Frankenstein's monster into a giant? Like, I, I mean, he I, was. Very conf- he was a giant. In like, this. Yeah, I'm like I'm very confused about the logistics of this, but okay. I, I mean, right. 1970s Japan, so who knows? Or sorry, 1962. Yeah. Andy, how did you get into kaiju movies? I liked Power Rangers, and I liked anime. And Godzilla is a dinosaur, and I liked Jurassic Park, and my parents were like, you should watch this. So what do you find so special and appealing about this genre? Kind of mentioned it with Colossal and Shin Godzilla. The ability to tell really, really good, poignant stories with a purpose and a message really, really hits hits me. I, I love when things are much better than you think they will be. Uh, I loved The Invisible Man for that reason. It's actually using storytelling to be better. And then beyond that, I'm a big dumb guy who likes big dumb things and seeing monsters punch each other is great. <laughs> Always fun. What's your favorite film or franchise? My favorite film is 12 Angry Men. I mean, of the kaiju oh, genre. Oh, um, And I don't believe you when you say that either. I feel like that's like <laughs> the answer. That's the answer you give to the girl at the bar. It's like, like, that's <laughs> it's like in, a, in Friends when she's like, what's Rachel's, what, what film does Rachel say is her favorite? And she's like, Dangerous Liaisons. What's Rachel's actual favorite film? <laughs> goes, Weekend at Bernie's. And <laughs> uh, you, you've got me. You've got me. It's, it's really uh, Anna Green Gables. <laughs> oh, it makes you cry, doesn't it? Um, ooh, this is okay. Okay, um, film, film, uh, film. I'm just gonna go with Pacific Rim. I think Pacific Rim is the best example of a modern day kaiju film that you can have. It, it yes. hits every pleasure sensor in my body, in my brain. I mean, brain. It it makes me happy. Well, this is turning into a well, different kind of podcast. Something's happening. Andy's yeah. that VR headset <laughs> in yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So two votes for Pacific Rim which is, we're not talking about it today, but it is a fine movie. I probably will mention it during my section too. So let's talk a little bit. Again, we're, we're, going, we're moving towards Godzilla versus Kong. Let's talk about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So quick summary, Godzilla, King of the Monsters is the 2019 follow-up to the 2014 Godzilla and the setup for the upcoming Godzilla vs. Kong. It was directed by Michael Dougherty and co-written by Dougherty with Zach Shields and starred, here's another giant list of names, Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby Brown, Bradley Whitford, Sarah Hawkins, who's only in the film for like 10 minutes, Ken Watanabe, and Zhang Zhi. Basically, this film is a kaiju fight with Godzilla and Ghidorah, aka Monster Zero, fighting it out for dominance. There's not really much as far as plot actually goes in this film. 
again, we're going to do a spoilerific conversation, so you might want to skip ahead. This film was way more in my wheelhouse as far as the Godzilla films of the 70s and 80s. This reminded me a lot more of them than the 2014 Godzilla. We get to see Mothra. We get to see Rodan. This was all stuff that made little Tessa very, very happy. I actually watched this movie in the theaters by myself. It is to this day the only film I have seen by myself in the theater. I know I am that person. I am really lame. But I enjoyed it immensely. Is it a good movie? No. But it is very enjoyable to me. So, Ariel, what was your take on this film? I hated this movie. <laughs> oh, okay. We're getting a little bit of contention here. So here's, I mean, there are very specific reasons why I hate it. Do I hate it more than it is a bad movie? I think yes. But I hate it for two very specific reasons. One, 95% of every cool thing that you see in the movie, every cool scene was in the trailer. And the the, the trailer with the Claire, what's the, what's the song? Claire de Lune yeah. is brilliant. It's that that trailer is yeah Claire Claire de Lune that the trailer with that song is one of the most beautiful trailers I've ever seen and so I watched it a billion times and I get to the movie and there's maybe one or two things that are not in that trailer uh, that are like visually spectacular and I felt a little cheated and I probably would have liked the film a lot more if I didn't watch the trailer at all which is you you can't you can't ask me to not watch a, a Kadru movie trailer and uh, and two it was too dumb. <laughs> I have I think I have a line. I don't know where that line is, but this was was too far but this below. crossed it. Yeah. It <laughs> crossed the line. It was too dumb. And it was and it was dumb in the way where the people in the film were taking it too seriously. I think we mentioned Fast and Furious all the time. Every single person in that movie knows what we are doing makes no sense. And we're gonna kind of like have a s have like a little smirk sarcastic undertone for everything we said. And this does not have that, it, it, you know, in the same way that the 2014 Godzilla did not have it. But that one was like, that one was really simple. A guy's trying to get back to his family and we're trying to destroy these monsters before they kill us. And for this film, the the we are like, this is the apex predator and he sends out a signal, but the alien comes and this is the apex and we're trying to steal the, Like, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You literally just, just rehash 2014. Nobody will care. I promise no one will care that the movie is the same exact thing because we come here to watch the spectacle and oh, guess what? You spoiled all the spectacle in the trailer. And so I hate this movie. <laughs> You've thought about this a lot. This should be my favorite movie because if you made it, if you made this movie and it was the same grade quality as Pacific Rim, this one has the nostalgia because Destroy All Monsters, the movie that this is based off of, was the VHS tape I rented the most as a kid. So this should have been it. Andy, what was your experience watching this film? Well, you see, unlike Ariel, I have a thing where I will religiously avoid movie trailers if I want to watch the movie. I And I, I mean, you will see me in a movie theater with my hands on my ears, closing my eyes, <laughs> staring kind of at my at my lap. I will avoid it. I think it increases my enjoyment of things a lot. So a lot of these things, things uh that ariel's talking about i didn't uh experience in the trailer so i was sitting there in the movie theater with like popcorn and being dumb and just this this was this was awesome ghidra just being awesome and terrifying there is a scene where millie brother brown is in a stadium and ghidra like looks at her and it's one of the most terrifying things i've Witnessed in the movie theater. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, Ariel and I did an entire episode on this this movie. Uh, it has problems. It is incredibly dumb. But it also has probably the one thing that it could have done to hype me up even more at the end, at the end credit scene. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree that this movie takes itself a little bit too seriously. The only person who's acting in this movie who seems to have some self-awareness is Bradley Whitford ironically like he I think does a pretty good job of telling like the dumb jokes insofar as you know you need that character in a movie I guess but otherwise I, I do think that this film does take itself a little too seriously it is definitely more spectacle than anything else also, they nuke Godzilla in the face to give him energy, and Ken Watanabe dies to do it. It's the dumbest thing. 
Yeah, there's some there the I don't see my problem with both the 2014 and this movie is I just don't care about the human characters as much. And I think that that's a huge mistake. I mean, I cared more about Aaron Taylor Johnson's character and Elizabeth Olsen's character. We don't even know their names. That should tell you something. Like, the thing about it is, is that at this point, I come to these movies for the kaiju. But we know from movies like Pacific Rim and from Shin Godzilla that you can make movies that balance the human stories with the kaiju stories. So I, I do think that that is a pretty legitimate critique of this film. Ghidorah is my favorite Godzilla nemesis, though, and so I was really, really happy to see a lot of that in this film, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Uh, So I watched this film again this week. I did see it in the theater, like I mentioned. I watched this film again this week with my partner, who did not see it, who had not seen it, because Sam is not into kaiju films as much as I am, and I will say... What made my viewing experience more enjoyable the second time is that he kept referring to Mothra as Moth Baby throughout <laughs> the entire throughout our entire viewing experience. And that was like my favorite part. Like at the end, he was like Godzilla, because Mothra is, of course, on the side of Godzilla. Nobody else is, but Mothra is. And at the end, it's like, you know, before, you know, as they before before obviously the thing happens, Godzilla's like, come on, Moth Baby. And I was like, <laughs> see, that would have been a that would have been a better movie. Like if we would have had that more of that team up. Tessa. Close. How did you get into kaiju movies? I got into kaiju movies uh, much in a similar way that you did, Andy. My family is a Godzilla family. Like we watched Godzilla movies and I'm talking the old ones from like the 60s and 70s. I don't even think I saw there. There's one in the 90s. Right? Was it in the 90s with Matthew Broderick? Is there? Good I haven't God. even seen that one. 1998. Like, uh, I was... It was a best friend's birthday party. I went to go see it in theaters. Best time I've ever had. <laughs> see, I haven't seen that one, but we I grew up on the 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 old school Godzilla movies. I have to say, I would hate to go back and rewatch them. I am pretty sure that I probably saw a good 50/50 Japanese versions and the, the like the Americanized versions, which I know aren't great, but I was a kid, I didn't know the difference. Um, I do remember, like, some of them had subtitles and some of them didn't. Some of them had more prominent American actors in them and some of them didn't. But I loved them. And part of that was just because, like, we would watch them as a family. And, like, there was very few films that we all, like, enjoyed. And so that was something that, you know, was really, really fun. And so, you know, I've always just really enjoyed them. And that's that's basically how I got into them. Uh, so what exactly is so special about this genre for you? So here's where I talk about Pacific Rim. There is a scene in that first Pacific Rim movie that I think encapsulates why I like kaiju films so much. And it's the scene, and for, forgive me, it's been a while since I've seen it, but there is a scene where they're fighting a kaiju and destroy like they're fighting it and they're destroying things and then suddenly it like has wings like suddenly these wings appear and you're just like not expecting it at all like it is a huge like reveal it didn't have wings before and suddenly it does i remember sitting in the movie theater watching that and i just had these chills like run up and down my spine like it was just like the most bizarre and yet wonderfully mysterious turn and i think that that is the potential of kaiju movies like this idea that you're dealing with something that's so otherworldly that doesn't like you were saying it's like a force of nature that it doesn't we don't have a lot of human ways of understanding it and that it has the potential to go in ways that we just can't even possibly comprehend and to me, that's great storytelling. It's why I like Jim Henson so much, um, because Jim Henson has a very similar sensibility with his puppets. He likes to make these weird little worlds that you just can't like completely understand where they're going to go. <laughs> and like that, that to me is like why kaijus are so special is that like you just like when they're done right, you just have this sense of awe that I don't think you get from very many other genres. I'm, I'm just thinking of uh, Kermit the Frog on The Masked Singer. <laughs> oh yeah no i wasn't talking about the muppets but i, I, sure. I mean it's, it's just a jim henson thing where like oh yeah yeah you treat the muppets like they are people 
<laughs> you want to know the difference between Pacific Rim and every other every other franchise trying to do a kaiju movie? Yes. Pacific Rim got Ramin Jawadi to do the score, who most mm. people will know mm-hmm. from Game of Thrones. So when that moment happens and the wings open up, the music just like it hits you like that old school Godzilla. Like I can't even I can't even uh like hum it for you. I don't know what it is, even though I've seen the movie a billion times. But like I know that the the music has that like that same instrumentation that Godzilla has when he's about to just like wreck shop. And that's like and that that's like that's the difference, right? Like the that best picture quality, best director quality filmmaking is because Guillermo del Toro knows you need that there. And you he knows what kind of music to give you to make you feel like you're watching Godzilla without it being the bump 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 like you know that that uh uh, da, 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 that music that goes, I'm, I'm ter- butchering it, but you know what I mean. Right. There are a few moments in Shin Godzilla where the score does get weirdly like oh. uplifting and it's really funny. Oh, yeah. But yeah, for the most part, it's that classic. To, to use an English term, because I just, I just made this connection in my mind. Like for those of you who have studied like English literature, which I know Kaiju comes from like a different, a completely different literary tradition. So I'm not trying to apply this here, but it's the feeling of the sublime. Like, standing in front of this thing that just makes you feel this like feeling of just total and complete awe and dread and a little horror but you just can't even like you can't even comprehend it like that's what a lot of the romantic poets were going for was to try to give you that feeling but i think kaiju movies just they just do it yeah and that's the difference because the whole concept behind kong right the thesis is that you capture kong you bring him to the states the thesis behind godzilla is oh my god this thing showed up and we're about to die and those two things are kind of diametrically opposed uh well tessa so you 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 love this stuff too i think i know the answer but what is your favorite film or franchise this may surprise you i okay so let's be honest pacific rim is obviously one of the best movies ever made go on Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it, it's hard. I'm not trying to make the claim that this movie is in any way close to the artistic brilliance of Pacific Rim. But for nostalgia's sake, Invasion of the Astro Monster was always my favorite growing up. And that is a Godzilla and Rodan versus uh, Ghidorah film. It is, uh, oh God, 19... 19- 65. That was the one that I wanted to watch all the time. It is hokey. It is weird. I don't know why, but it really underscores the fact that Ghidorah is an alien, which we didn't really talk about at all during King of the Monsters. But like, it is such an odd film, but it has a lot of nostalgic value, and there is a lot of incredible model work in that film. So if you're looking for a classic, that's a good one. Okay, and now my first attempt, and I do mean first attempt, to talk about Gamera, also known as Gamera, or Gamera the Giant Monster. This was the first of the Japanese Gamera franchise movies. It was released in 1965, directed by Noriaki Yusa, with special effects by Yone Saburu Tsukiji. It stars Eiji Funakoshi, Harumi Kiritachi, and Junichiro Yamashita, and introduces Gamera, a prehistoric giant turtle, who is based on something, but we'll talk about that, who's released from the Arctic ice by a nuclear weapon and wrecks havoc on Japan. Tessa, this was your monkey for the week. Why go with Gamera, who is friend to all the children? So, like I said, we were a Godzilla family, so I didn't actually watch a lot of other kaiju movies until I got older, actually, and started exploring a little bit more. I had never seen any Gamera films. Like, I I knew that this was, like, supposed to be an independent, like, answer to the Toho Studio Godzilla franchise, and I knew that it was beloved by a lot of people, but I had never seen it before. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Ariel, have you seen this movie or any of the other Gamera films? Uh, I have not seen the original 1965. I have not seen any of the Gamera, uh, Gamera, Gamera films, whatever. Uh, and I haven't seen them because they were not in stock at my local VHS rental shop. Uh, so there was one, two blocks from my house in Jersey City, Mike's Rental. Uh, they didn't have it. They only had like three or four Godzilla movies, and those are the ones I watched over and over and over again. So that's why this is not part of my Uber. I like that you went to like a local video store, like you're, not Blockbuster, like that local shop that uh-huh. 
Every town had. With the adult. So our adult selection was like all the way at the top instead of like in a back room because it was such a small shop. Out of reach. Yeah, out of reach, out of sight. (laughs) But yeah, this was way better than I thought it was going to be. I actually really, really liked this film. It was really well done. The special effects, especially for the 1960s, are incredible. Uh, I mean, obviously, Gamera is like someone in a turtle suit, but like the model work is really great. The cuts are really great. Like the uh, there's this really really great cut where they have like Gamera's head like coming over like coming like towards this hill and then they cut to like this person like wailing away on a guitar like it's just like these really really great like scene cuts my favorite scene of the entire film is in the beginning where this child who will become like the annoying precocious child throughout the film of course he like is told by he has like this small pet turtle, right? It's in like this little aquarium. And his father and his older sister, who's like an adult, want him to get rid of it. And so they tell like, let it go, not kill it. Like this is this is still like a nice film, right? And so they're like, you know, oh, you have to go let it out on the beach. Like you can't keep it. So like he goes down to the beach and like the the little turtle, it's like literally like this tiny little turtle. It's like maybe an inch like around. He goes, you know, he's like, oh, like Pee-wee, you know, I'll come visit you. And he like puts it on the on the sand and he starts to walk away and he looks back over his shoulder and Gamera's head like comes up over the hill. And he becomes (laughs) convinced for the rest of the film that his tiny turtle turned into Gamera. And it is like just like this wonderful through line in this film. Gamera is he's a giant turtle. Like, I, I don't have much to say, but he has like these like this weird underbite like so he's not really a turtle like he he stands on like his uh his like hind legs a lot and then he has like these tusks that sort of come out of his mouth so i wouldn't say he's like classically a turtle i guess uh he also has powers uh so this actually reminded me a lot of the puppet from shin godzilla because they they describe him as having like a mechanism inside of him um he eats fire instead of breathing it which i think is really interesting um, because we can see the contrast between like the pure destruction of Godzilla and the fact that Gamera is already sort of positioned as this monster who, yeah, he's destructive, but he's he's doing it to like feed himself, right? It's not just, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing or he's just like an animal. And he like saves people. Like the friend to children thing doesn't come around, I think, until later, but it is like an apt description of this of this uh, character. This kid is like convinced that Gamera is like a good person or a good a good kaiju and that he's lonely, which I think is really interesting. Also, he has the ability to pull his arms and head in and uh, <laughs> use rockets to propel himself on what I'm going to call Gamera World Tour. Like, there's just a bunch of pictures of him next to like monuments. Like, here's Gamera next to the Eiffel Tower. Here's Gamera next to the pyramids. It's just, it's a silly movie. But it's silly in the way that, like, kaiju movies were silly, you know? Like, they're, they're, there's kind of this goofiness to it. It's what you were saying, Ariel, earlier about not taking itself too seriously. But there's still, like, that horror and that pathos that you want from, like, a kaiju film. What is sillier? The, the Gamera rocket thing, and you can look up a GIF of this online, and it is pronounced GIF. Or the Godzilla on his tail doing a... Uh, a kick. <laughs> I caught <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that there's a lot of... I think we need to get back to the silliness in kaiju movies. I think we need a little bit more lightheartedness, for sure. I won't spoil the ending. It is worth watching. It is the best ending I have ever seen in a kaiju film of this, of this caliber. It is better than any Godzilla film ending I have ever seen. And I don't say that lightly. I have seen a lot of Godzilla films end. This is the best ending I have ever seen. Highly recommend. All right. So predictions for Godzilla versus Kong. Okay. So I guess Andy probably hasn't seen the trailer. Have you been avoiding trailers, Andy? I have seen the first half of the trailer to make sure it was real. Uh, Then I skipped to the end to make sure that the date was real. And that is it. Ariel, have you seen the trailer? Yes. I know you've been on Twitter to talk about it. We've all kind of had some discussions about it, but I want to talk about like, What's our predictions or our thoughts going into Godzilla vs. Kong, which again comes out here in a few days? Call me a prophet. I think I know exactly how the movie is going to end. Like you just, you basically just need to watch Batman v Superman, and it's 
it's going to be like literally the same, even including a completely nonsensical way of making the un- hilariously underpowered character somehow be strong enough to fight against the living super being uh, that he somehow, you know, it's, it's, it's complete and utter BS. This is Godzilla slander. I will not be having it. And I will probably not watch the movie if I'm being completely honest. I've got a round, a round by round prediction. I, I, hate this, I hate this. I hate this whole concept. All right, it's a round by the round. Movie, not, not Andy's thing. Prediction. Round one. King Kong wins. Godzilla limps away, like the scared little lizard that he is. Round two. How dare you? Godzilla gets another nuke to the face. No, uh, Godzilla wins this round in round two. Round three. Fight almost to a standstill. And then Mecha Ghidra shows up. That's right. The teaser at the end of uh, King of the Monsters where Charles Dance buys a Ghidorah head from, um, from some islanders. He has made it into half King Ghidra, half robot. It shows up, takes them both on. Then they look at each other. There's, there's a mutual respect in their eyes. King Kong fist bumps Godzilla and they proceed then to take down and dismantle King Ghidorah. And what this means is Godzilla takes one head off. King Kong takes the other head off. Then they both together hold hands and rip the final head off. And uh, of course, what happens is uh, Charles Dance loses control of the Mecha Ghidra and they save humanity together. And uh, yep. Yep, that, that is the entire movie. I'm predicting it now, 100% accurate, and it's going to win Best Picture. There you go, Ariel. You don't even have to watch the film. That's probably the best version of the film, actually. I mean, if, if you watch the trailer and you take Andy's prediction right there, you can literally, like, you literally know exactly how the movie's going to play out. And uh, after watching King of the Monsters, I don't believe that there's anything in that movie that I will find particularly visually interesting. And time, even though I have so much of it during this pandemic, is too precious for bad movies. So let me ask you a question. Are we going to see some of the other kaiju in this film? Because we saw at the end of King of the Monsters, like Rodan bowing to Godzilla. We saw a bunch of other unnamed kaiju bowing to Godzilla in like a very strange way. Are we going to see them in this movie or are we just sort of going to pretend that Godzilla and Kong and Mecha Ghidorah, who I absolutely believe is going to show up, are the only three kaiju? I have another prediction. Are you familiar with the fighting video games Marvel versus Capcom? No. <laughs> I am. Okay. Well, characters get a move in this. It's called an assist move where another, another fighter jumps in and does something really quick. So King Kong will snap his fingers at one point and a Mudo will show up. And this Mudo will uh, will punch Godzilla probably in the gut. And then Godzilla will snap his fingers and Rodan will show up, get promptly uh, backhanded by Godzilla. Again, 100% accurate prediction. Outside chance, will Mothra show back up? Will Mothra be resurrected at any point during this film? Because I was very angry at the end of King of the Monsters because of Mothra's seeming death. Oh, you mean, I don't. You mean Moth Baby? Moth Baby. <laughs> I don't think any other monsters show up because it would be it would be good world building to mention them or have them come in the film at some point. That's good filmmaking, good world building, and that's not what they're doing here. So they're not going to show up. <laughs> you you mean you don't trust Adam Wingard, director of the Death Note movie, to? That movie was one of the literally one of the worst film experiences I've ever had in my life. I just, I like, the smart thing to do would be to make the Kong Godzilla movie first and then make King of the Monsters uh, so that, you know, the, you, you, don't, you don't need to explain why all this is happening, right? It's, it's, like, it's like, hey, why is, uh, why is the Joker killing 50 people in Gotham once a month when Superman exists and can just pick him up and throw him in jail? Like, like it's just, they're just like, they're just not going to care and people are going to question it and the response is going to be, it's a dumb movie. Just let it be dumb. And that's frankly, that's not that's not good enough for me anymore. Yeah, I am also curious. I mean, curious in a I don't think that we'll answer this satisfactorily sort of way. 
I'm curious how they're going to explain Kong's absence from King of the Monsters. Because, like, wasn't the whole point of the Alpha Waves or the <laughs> Mac- the MacGuffin machine, as we might want to call it, to, like, call like to call all of them there? I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I does Skull Island have some sort of, like, magic, like, sound wave-proof shield around it? Like, I'm not sure how they're going to explain that. That would be gr- good world building, and that's not what we're doing here. Okay, okay. You I, should write this movie. I, 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 know, I know how I want them to explain this, okay? I want them to say, but where was King Kong when uh, Ghidorah attacked? And then it'll show King Kong swimming off the island as fast as he can. <laughs> and, some, and someone will, uh, Brie Larson will come out of nowhere and be like, wait, he's been beaten. And Kong will just go, <laughs> and it starts swimming back. I have the real ending to this movie in my head. Kong, through some magical means, a magic kryptonite or a robot suit or something, is about to kill Godzilla. (laughs) And (laughs) Godzilla says, save Mothra. And so King Kong has to go away (laughs) to save Mothra. And then Godzilla has to go fight or ward off Mech Ghidorah. And then King Kong comes back with Rodan, who's wearing Wonder Woman clothes. And... (laughs) And Godzilla and King Kong all show up and they fight Ghidorah and then King Kong dies and then a few years later they resurrect Godzilla and then a few years after that they say please release the Snyder Cut of Godzilla (laughs) Justice League or something. It's all, it's fated to happen uh, as it once did years ago. What I also do want though is I want the final action sequence from Civil War to come back. And instead of Bucky and Cap, it's uh, Kong and Godzilla. And instead of Iron Man, it's Ghidra. <laughs> See, I, I, I hate this movie. I can't believe it's happening. <laughs> this is my last question for you all. Do you think, because like you said, they can't help themselves. They just can't. Do you think we will see King Kong climb something with airplanes circling around him? How? He'd be too big. Again. Can they help themselves? Like, so the point is, the whole point is that King Kong climbs buildings and Godzilla steps on buildings. And there's just no, like, you know, it's like Superman can move planets and Batman can't move the car out of his garage. Like, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. But I, I think you're right. I think it will happen. And I will be complaining that it doesn't make any sense when I see the clip. Okay. Okay. Here, here's the serious question. How many times will Blue Oyster Colts Godzilla play during this movie? Or uh, Kesha's uh, That's What Happens When You Take Godzilla to the Mall? I don't know. This is a good question. Uh, Sam was very, I, I will have you know that when we watched Kong Skull Island, he was very upset that there was, I, I don't even remember it. I don't pay attention to music the way that he does. But like, there was a song that they played that like was anachronistic like it came out like two years after like it was set and it very much upset him that it was in that film i'll have him give an update next week nerd was it uh spirit in the sky (laughs) perhaps that's right because every every song or every movie in the 70s uh the suicide squad (laughs) movie is gonna have to have fortunate son and uh they had like two ccr songs like it was it was a very strange film all right i think we have talked ourselves out although i'm sure that we could all talk for a long time about kaiju we're all very very enamored of this maybe we'll do this again i'm i'm excited it seems like just like james bond kaiju films will never go away so i'm i'm excited to talk about this with you guys perhaps in the future, and to share our opinions on Godzilla versus Kong, if Ariel watches it. When Pacific Rim 2 finally comes out. Don't do that to me, Andy. <laughs> All right. Tune in next week. Sam returns with his hot takes of the film adaptation of the ABBA musical Mamma Mia. Ariel, what are your uh, social media plugs? What what stuff do you got going on? Uh, I just had a Oscar nomination prediction episode with... Uh, my friend Shruti, we talk about kind of, you know, kind of like what she thinks are like the, the major locks that things are definitely going to win. We talk about the processes behind the Oscars and uh, we talk about how could this have been the year to change how the Oscars work, meaning for all of the 2020 films come out and we wait a year and then the 2020 Oscar considerations show comes out in 2022. 
And I posit perhaps that would fix certain situations like Crash in 06, like Green Book, which aged poorly immediately, like Shakespeare and Love beating Saver Private Ryan. So the question was, is a year a long enough time to quote unquote get things right? Uh, so that'll be releasing this week. Uh, you can go to any Apple podcast, podcast player, search up Pop Culturist. Um, we are we are in season three of the Four Nations Report, which Tessa was recently on. Uh, so we're wrapping that up soon. We just talked about, what's the name of this? Oh, the Puppet Master, which I had plenty of very serious thoughts on. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Portly Island Boy. For a minute, I thought you were going to say the pop culturist was nominated for an Oscar. And I was like, wow, they've really changed the categories this year. And lowered their standards. <laughs> I, I only thought that the Navi had uh, just one tribe, not four nations. Interesting. <laughs> Avatar podcast. Uh, Pandora. Wow. We, we only play on Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> Andy. Tell us your social media handles. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Andy Noted. That's Andy Y-N-O-T-E-D. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Tell us your kaiju thoughts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MonkeyBacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.